Welcome to Retail Level Up's Moment with Mickey. In today's episode, we have a visitor, Holly Kraft. Holly is the founder and owner of Druthers. Druthers is located in Fargo, North Dakota, and it carries men's lifestyle apparel brands that speak to the store's founding beliefs, which are be a better person, do the right thing, and personal and professional growth. They focus on quality fabrics and clothing in a style that means something to their customers. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Holly. Holly has been in retail in one form or another for 20 years. She graduated with honors from NDSU, which is North Dakota State University. She has a BS in apparel and textiles, retail merchandising, and a minor in business administration. And most of her retail experience has been in a small locally owned men's retail store, as well as corporate women's and sporting retail structures. Prior to opening Druthers, she was a senior business analyst with Vanity and a logistics analyst with Shields. She loves shopping, which is a good thing when you're in retail. She's a mom of two, and she enjoys spending as much time outdoors as possible until the incredibly cold weather hits in Fargo, which I am very familiar with. So welcome, Holly. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so excited to hear the story and to see the store. But first, I would love you to tell our audience a little bit more about your background. How did you happen to get into retail? And what was it that really sparked that bug that kept you in retail all these years? Yeah, uh, my one of my very first jobs was actually working for Vanity in the store. I worked uh, as a part-time sales associate in the mall. Um, and that, I loved everything about fashion. I loved everything about just being able to pick outfits together for people and to make them feel good about themselves and what they were wearing. And that really kind of drove the the female fashion side of my um, my desires and my my interest in the retail world. Um, I've worked in grocery retail for quite a few years, so that's a whole. And people don't really think about a grocery store as retail, but it is. You know, they buy products and they sell it to a customer, and your customers come in and buy those products too. And so you really have to understand like what's driving your sales and what you need to restock. And if you're out of stock, you're you're totally messing with everybody's experience in your grocery um, in your grocery store and. So that, that actually helped a lot with supply and demand and just making sure that I could figure all of that stuff out. And it helped me uh, learn how to manage people. I was a customer service rep there or a manager there. And I kind of oversaw a lot of the cashiers. So I got a lot of experience working with people that way and managing a team that way. Um, and then from there, I, I went to school for retail and that kind of helped me learn a little bit more of the technical things behind it. Um, I didn't do so much for the garment construction and apparel studies, but I did more of the business side of things. So owning and operating a store, running a sales floor, trying to learn some of that retail math. But a lot of my experience came from hands-on type of roles. Right out of college, I worked for Shields, actually in their uh, Moorhead, Minnesota store. I was the visual display manager. So that's another part of retail that I got some exposure to. Um, doing visual display for the entire store was an experience. <laughs> you really have to be a good planner for that because if you tear up one part of the store, you need to make sure that you have a plan for putting it back. And, you know, you can't do too many projects at one time. 
So that helped a lot with getting detail focused and organized and having plans for what things are going to look like. I also had a little bit of buying experience there as a shop manager. I ran two different shops, um, youth athletic and youth outerwear. So I got a little bit of youth clothing experience there too, which is a whole different animal. <laughs> youth clothing is very difficult to manage. Huh. Um, from Shields, I went to uh, Strauss Clothing. They had a younger men's clothing store called AKA, which I uh, was a sales associate there and an assistant manager. And then eventually when they absolved back into Strauss, um, I worked there. And that's a traditional men's clothing store for those that may not be familiar with it. Um, they started in the Fargo community, Fargo, North Dakota community, but they had about 11 stores in the upper Midwest, all throughout North Dakota and a little bit in Minnesota. Um, and they were, they're really well known in the area. They had suits, professional clothing, dress shirts, um, really high-end clothing too, which I learned a lot about um, just good quality construction and good quality materials from my experiences there and just how things should fit on a man, you know, the proper fit of a garment is really where I learned all of that from. And then from there, I was at Vanity in the corporate office um, where I got my exposure with Mickey and a bunch of other different team members that have also gone on to do some pretty amazing things here in the Fargo community. And, and we'll talk a little bit more later about how I just really leaned on them for some professional advice. And they've been a huge part of my life. Just everybody that I've worked with at Vanity has left a lasting impact. But there, like you talked about, I had a lot of planning experience as business analyst, senior business analyst by the time I left for the denim, um, non-denim bottoms, so skirts, leggings, all of those fun things. And then eventually over soft footwear too, uh, which was a whole nother <laughs> I wish I could do footwear really well. That one, that's a challenge for me to get footwear under, under my belt. But I learned a lot from my, my supervisor there, Amy. She was a powerhouse with numbers and details and theory. And I learned all of my planning expertise and trying to figure out what to buy and how much to buy and, and where to push and where to pull back. Like I learned all of that from her. She, she's super smart and I was very lucky to have worked for her. Um, and then after that, I was back at Shields in the corporate office. Uh, I worked as a vendor analyst um, in hard lines, which was an adventure. Um, hard lines is their guns and ammunition and hunting and, uh, <laughs> that I know nothing about, <laughs> but I did know how to do uh, forecasting for, you know, need and sales and things like that. So it was really fun to use the tools that I had learned in planning and business analytics to apply it to a completely different field. That was, that was really exciting to learn a different industry and different products. And I was, I was grateful for my time there. Um, and then I also did logistics analytics there too, which was very valuable. Um, that was not something I had a lot of exposure to at Vanity, but um, learning how to consolidate shipments and get them to places, you know, from A to B so fast and for the best rate possible. Um, that was something that I had no idea about and I had no idea how much work and frustration <laughs> went into that role. Um, so I really appreciate some interactions that I had in previous roles like Vanity specifically that I had no idea how 
you know, how those things impact a retail industry in general. Yeah, it's amazing what goes into it. It is. It's amazing. And it is so frustrating. Um, you, you just think it should be so easy, like pick them up and bring them here. And it's not that easy. It's really not. And to try to do it in the fastest way and the most economical way um, is it's a challenge. It, it really was. But I learned a lot in that role. I learned a ton. Um, I can speak much more clearly about, you know, logistics and trying to figure things out when I'm working with vendors, which has helped a lot in just kind of negotiating and understanding like what's a good freight charge for me to pay? What's fair? You know, a lot of retailers don't really understand how much freight it costs to ship something to you or how little, you know, I've had shipments where they've sent me three shirts and it cost me $18 on my invoice. So that's something as a small business owner, you should really look at and go, okay, well, logically, Three shirts should not cost you $18 to ship, even if you're sending them, you know, USPS. So that having that exposure and knowing like what's a good charge and what's a bad charge, what's a realistic charge, that was that was eye opening. And I'm so thankful that I was able to have that experience as well. And so, then uh, after Shields, I started this. And, and why? How did that come about? always wanted to run my own store do my own store it's been like a pipe dream ever since I was in college Um, and it really took off as something I wanted to do when I was working for Strauss just because I had that exposure to a small specialty store and I loved working in that environment I've always worked for local companies which is something I'm proud of I've always worked for some whether it's a corporate setting or in a specialty store, it's always been a Fargo-based company. Um, And I love that lifeblood. I love what we do for the community. And I've always wanted to be a part of that. And so I've always tried to figure out like, what's my niche? What do I do? What is Fargo needing right now? And it always kind of ebbed and flowed, but my goal was always to be And when you decided to do this, was this something that you did all on your own or did you have anyone that you took as a partner in this venture? I went back and forth a lot about that. I was talking to somebody who was willing to be a partner in my venture um, and I debated a lot on that. I, I decided at the end of the day though that I wanted this to be mine. I wanted, you know, I wanted to be the sole owner just because I wanted the control, to be honest, I'm kind of a control freak, but then I also wanted to know that I did it. Like I did it. This was my baby. I built it and hopefully I'm going to succeed at it. And when did you, when did you, you said you looked at um, the market in Fargo to identify what was needed. And so you decided that, a men's store was something that was needed in the area? Yeah, I looked a lot at what was already open in, in town here. And there are so many different women's specialty stores here in town that do an amazing job. And they all have their little, their little niches and their little um, customer profiles. And men's clothing really was lacking, even from a chain standpoint, like the only places to buy men's clothing, if you want to, is somewhere in the mall, if, if you're brave enough to venture into the mall. 
Um, or you could buy true dress clothing at um, another local store called Halberstadt. So they have suits and dress shirts and, and more premium um, casual shirts. But um, it's, there is no place in Fargo to find casual men's clothing. And I felt like that was, that was a huge opportunity, especially if I could keep the price points at a moderate level, you know, not too premium, um, keep it in kind of a sweet spot where it's good quality things that they want to pay a little bit extra for because they know those items are going to last for a while or they're ethical and sustainable, which is another piece of, of what we do here. Um, and to know that not everybody else has these items in Fargo, like it's unique, it's, and you're supporting a local economy, which, you know, feels really good too. Yes. And how long did it take from your decision to open a store to your opening date? Oh, felt like forever. Uh, <laughs> uh, I had ideas of opening a store probably about, I'd say, three years ago now. Um, I really started working on the plans a year ago. So it probably took me a full year. Some of it was bravery. I'm going to be honest with you. Like I was really nervous, like super nervous to do this. So it was something that I would work on on the side and still kind of treat it like a pipe dream. You know, like I'm working on the business plan, but it's kind of on the side. And I did like three pages here and then I'd move on and, you know, do something else for a, a week or a month or something, you know, mm-hmm. then I'd come back to it. So but I would have to say at least a year from when I decided I wanted to do it to when I was able to um, actually start getting financing and, and get okay. the ball. And how did you come about um, finding your location? I debated between two different areas. So downtown is booming in Fargo. Um, there's tons of development. And then there's South Fargo too, which is also really growing just super super fast. And there are some stores out in South Fargo that I felt were good um, pairings with Druthers. Um, there's Leela and Lavender, which is a huge powerhouse near now in Fargo. Um, there's another store called Willow District over here, which is such a cute women's store. Um, there's a couple home stores in a local building over here. And then there's a restaurant called The Tavern, which has a few locations in Minneapolis. Um, they're really popular there and they opened in Fargo and I think their parking lot has been packed since. So this little shopping area here has been popular and it has a lot of really good quality homegrown stores that I wanted to be a part of. So that's why I chose this specific spot. Okay. And what kind of marketing did you do in the beginning? Um, not a lot. The my My story starts a little bit differently than a lot of other stores because I opened in COVID. Um, My plan was to open in March and that was really, my plan was March 29th, I think was the date I was supposed to open. And we got the announcement, you know, like the 15th or the 16th that schools were closing in March. And then it was another week where we're closing, you know, through the end of March. And then I think it was, I want to say like March 25th, somewhere in there where our governor um, decided that all non-essential businesses should not be open. 
And with that decision, all of the local businesses here, even clothing retail, decided to close voluntarily. And so with that decision, it, it felt silly for me to even be open. Um, and then with the delay, I opened in May with everybody else, but it was still so tricky. Like, do you advertise? Do you not? Like, do you want people to come in in, in hordes or do you want people to slowly trickle in? So it was a really challenging time to try to figure out the best way to get customers to find you and want to come in, but not encourage mass groups of people and a large gallery gathering and you know like a big social event so in the beginning I know that's a really long answer but that's why like in the beginning I wasn't able to do a lot of marketing because I was really scared to I didn't know what to do. so it was social posts um, and word of mouth and do you do anything different now now I do a little bit I do some social advertising so I will pay for ads on on Facebook and Instagram um, and those are really good to reach people that are similar to customers I already have. Um, and then I have some radio ads, which uh, some people think are, you know, you get really mixed reviews on radio. I'm still trying to navigate which way is the best way for me to go. Um, I've had some people say, you know, I heard you on the radio and that's why I came in or I heard you on the radio and I sent my wife in to come shop for me because you know, I, I knew there was a men's store and she hadn't heard of you yet, but I heard you on The Fan, which is a sports talk radio show. And so I'm hitting some of the more male dominant radio stations here in town just to see if, if that's where I should be. That's great. Can you share about how your sales break down between in-person and online? It's very much so on in-person in the store. There are a couple of web sales that I've had. Um, it's very sporadic though. So I don't even think it's worth a percentage at this point. It's really almost predominantly in the store. Okay. Now you have a great deal of experience in this next um, category I'm going to talk about. Um, so you probably have this nailed, but how do you manage your vendor matrix that you make sure that you're not putting too many eggs in one basket because you probably have a couple of brands that are really popular, really um, important to your assortment. So how do you make sure you diversify so that you're not kind of in bed with just one key vendor that can you know make or break you? Yeah, honestly, a lot of it, it, some of it is planning. So like you said, I do have a lot of experience in just making sure from the detail side of things that I'm buying appropriately and funding sales where I can based on sell through and rate of sale and turnover and all those gross like retail math terms. But some of it is, is power on the sales floor. So if I look at in the back office, like this brand should be doing better. Why isn't it doing better? And I'll notice that we're just not as salespeople pushing it. We're not bringing customers to it. We're not exposing it. Then nobody's buying it. And I've noticed that in a few different areas. So I leverage some of that more mathematical stuff of, you know, how do I diversify? How do I, how do I build that up by just making sure that my unit sales are covered and the growth is exposed um, but I also try to manage it on the sales floor by looking at the brands that are suffering and going, okay, let's bring them to the front. Let's reorganize the store. Let's flip it. Is there a dead area in the store where customers aren't seeing certain products? Let's 
re-merchandise it, let's put it on a mannequin, let's put it on a front table, um, and then just try to boost sales across different brands that way. Mm-hmm. And then another way I do it is when I build my buys, I look at everything as a whole. So I look at this brand and I look at this brand and I look at this brand, my top brands, the assortments that I want. And I say, okay, well, I have seven t-shirts over here. Do I need some over here? No, maybe these are all my wovens. And so I just want to make sure that collectively everybody looks good. So it's not so PC when it gets here on the floor. And I don't start to put all my eggs into one basket. I can look at everybody as a druthers family rather than this brand versus this brand. Mm-hmm. And then tell us a little bit about your product assortment, your category mix. Like what are the, the key categories that you carry? Um, I, so I divvy it out. Obviously we have tops and bottoms and I, I try to get um, four tops for every bottom just because that's how we wear things. You know, we cycle through pants a lot slower than, than you would on a top, even when you're wearing them day to day. Uh, and then our big categories just depend on the season. So in the spring, short sleeve wovens were huge. Spring and summer were big. So um, making sure next year that we have a good short sleeve woven um, button up shirt option for the guys is the biggest thing. And short sleeve t-shirts were great um, and shorts. So, I mean, that would make sense. And then in the winter, now that we're getting in here, my outerwear sales are starting to spike. Um, long sleeve wovens, shirts, and flannels have been doing really well. So it's just looking at your seasonality and just making sure that the key categories like make sense for, for us. And I have some vendors who are West Coast vendors, or I have one that's an Australian vendor, and their line is like shorts. <laughs> I'm like, I can't do that right now, you guys. So <laughs> trying to take a back seat on those guys and, and really fill in with the ones that understand the upper Midwest culture, you know, like we need some flannels, we need some heavyweights, we need some sweaters and just making sure that those are as stocked as they can be. The first year you're really guessing. Sure, and then sure. next year I'll be able to uh, really hone in on what did well and attack it. So I'm really excited about that. Now, you mentioned a lot of of apparel categories. Do you also carry some accessories? A little bit. I carry some socks and underwear, just some like undergarment type accessories. I have um, some home stuff. So I have candles and diffusers and a little bit of fragrance with a roll-on unisex fragrance um, and beard accessories. So beard balms, beard oils, um, shaving kits and beard kits. So those are kind of fun to have in the store. Um, I have another brand that has uh, knives, which sounds really aggressive, but like I have a hatchet in here (laughs) just because it's just something cool and extra that you're not going to see everywhere else. So I like to pick up little bits of accessories where I can and where they make sense. Um, the candles I have in the store are from a local company. She is in Fargo and she makes them in Fargo. So that's really exciting to see. I have um, some planters for succulents. Those are also made in Fargo. And um, I just think they read a little like really masculine because they're cement, like molded planters. So they're just kind of a cool accent. And if nothing else, they look great on the shelf. <laughs> and I have them for, you know, using throughout the store just to show guys how to use them whenever they're ready to kind of decorate their, their apartment or their house or wherever they're living. And then hats. Um, I do venture into some hats, mostly baseball. 
uh, or caps, dad caps is what they're called, a little bit more casual, not a hard brim hat, um, or a five panel, but just the soft cap, uh, and then some stocking caps. But no shoes. Um, shoes are a difficult place to be. Sometimes they get really size intensive and inventory intensive. So I like I like accessories that are easy add-ons. Great. So do you have a mission statement? And if yes, what is it? I don't have a specific mission statement. Uh, I, I think it's really evolved. I think I've changed it probably three, <laughs> at least three times in the six months that I've been open. But I just really want to be a place where men and, and women, really anybody, feels comfortable shopping. I want them to come in here and feel good about what they're buying, what they're putting on their body. And in doing that, we can do good by supporting um the more sustainable and ethical brands. And I'm trying to blow that portion of my assortment up um, as much as I can and making sure that everybody has a really good option for that sustainable piece. You know, like our environment has finite resources. And if we don't start supporting brands that don't exploit that, you know, and don't contribute to our landfills and all of that, um, we're going to be in trouble in a few years and it may not be a few, it may be 20, 30, 40 years, but you know, fashion is evolving and you see a lot more of these premium labels moving towards sustainable initiatives. And I'm excited to see where fashion's going to go with it. Well, you're, you're doing your little piece to keep the earth um, green. So great. Thank you. Um, you had mentioned, I think you touched on financing. So you needed to get some financing in order to get going. What was that process like? I was very um, smart and I, I had a good banker. <laughs> I went to a personal banker uh, or a commercial banker in town that was referred to me by another professional. And she was instrumental in getting me through that process. I had to come to her with my business plan and I had to come to her with a deposit or a down payment. And her and her team really worked with the SBA professionals because my financing is an SBA backed loan. Um, and that there is a lot of extra steps with that. The application is a lot longer. The timeframes are longer for approvals. Um, but I was fortunate enough to work with somebody who did a lot of that legwork for me. I just had to go in and sign the papers and say yes or no. And and then I had to wait and I'd, it was really great. I mean, I hate to say that, but it was so much easier, I think, than some other people's experiences. But I chose to ask for help instead of trying to go it alone. And I think that was that was a wise choice for me. Great. Now, a lot of um, people that follow Retail Level Up, some of them are in their own business already. Some are thinking about starting their own business. And I'm always interested in getting our guests to share the technical services that you use, those third-party vendors that help you run your business. So if you would share, you know, do you use customer relationship management? What's your POS system, credit card processing, all those yeah. technical things. All those little things. You don't really think about them until you need them. You're like, oh my God, what do I do? <laughs> <laughs> I use Vend for my POS system. Uh, and I think there's pros and cons to it. It's, it's not my favorite system, but I think it's really easy to use. And 
it's very intuitive when you're on the sales floor. It makes your transactions really fast and smooth with customers. So I, I like it from that perspective. Um, and it integrates with a third party credit card processing system um, that I used through the bank that I go through. So they had another party that they work with for credit card processing. I think it's MSG payments. I honestly couldn't confirm that. Um, and I feel so horrible that I don't even know, but I work with my bank on that and I, I utilize the resources around me to try to make my job easier. Um, so they're very instrumental in getting me contact with who I need for that credit card processing. Okay. And then for our website, I use Shopify. Um, Shopify and Vend integrate pretty seamlessly. There are a few kinks between the two, um, but it's overall been a really easy experience. Once I receive something into Vend, um, it holds it in Vend until I tell it to publish it to Shopify. And then once I goes there, all the inventory gets transferred over, um, one picture gets transferred over, and then there's a little bit more maintenance you need to do in Shopify before you'll probably feel good about it on your website. But overall, very seamless integration, which I'm very happy about with that. Good. And do you have employees? I do. I do. They started out as interns. Um, I took on three interns from NDSU, North Dakota State University, here in Fargo. They're all three in the apparel program. And so they all did some sort of planning buying internship with me over the summer. And then they've stayed on as employees through the fall. That's great. And so do you manage the employee and the HR part of business or do you farm out that like a third party service to help you with the paperwork and the compliance piece? Yeah, I did all of it myself. Um, I use a website called Gusto for payroll services that was referred to me from another uh, business owner here in town. It was something that she had used for payroll. Um, so that's been really easy. I, I downloaded an app for their time tracking so they can go and punch in on my, on my iPad when they get here to work. And then they punch out when they leave. And then I can go into the app when it's time to run payroll and run a report to run their hours for whatever my pay payroll history is or that pay period. Um, and then I can put that hour into Gusto and Gusto will take care of all of the payments. They automatically um, withdraw the funds from my account and then they put them into their, their account for payroll and they pay all my taxes. That's part of their guarantee. They pay all the North Dakota taxes that are supposed to be paid. They take care of everything. So that's been very, very helpful for me. I haven't had a snag in it yet. Um, hopefully I don't, but if I do, I have um, an accounting professional who I have hired because that was one of the smarter things I've decided to do is hire out my accounting. <laughs> so for tax purposes, they help with all of that stuff. And if I find there's an issue with payroll, then they also do, um, they also do payroll services. So I'll just ask them for help and, and have them take on that service as well. What was the most surprising thing that you discovered when you opened your store? Oh man. <laughs> um, how much work every little detail is. You know, you think it's just so easy to put up on the website, you know? 
And you don't realize how much work goes into just taking the picture and getting the description right and making sure everything's in there right and getting the coding done and making sure your search engine optimization is done. And then when you're all done with that, you have to move on to your social post and you have to make sure that that image is good and your caption is great. And then you have to do it. Are, am I doing it enough? Am I not doing it enough? And then you have to go to the sales floor because nobody else is scheduled. <laughs> so, you know, uh, there's, it's a lot. You think it, it, and it's fun. It's totally fun and it's totally worth it. But there's just every, the, every detail you have to take care of. And that was something that, you know, I knew, you know, you logically know you have to do that, but you don't realize how many of those little decisions you have to do and make every single day. One of the toughest transitions, I think, for someone who used to work for someone else as an employee, and you were, uh, you were a superstar when we worked together, um, you know, very smart, very driven, always delivered on time, you know, probably before the due date was due. And then when you transition to being your own boss, there, there's something that happens in our brain, I think, at least in, in my experience, that who's holding me accountable? Just me. I don't really have to do this social post and nobody's going to notice if I don't do it. How do you hold yourself accountable? Just like you, when you were an employee, to deliver such, you know, great work, quality, quantity work. I'm going to be honest. I'm still working on that piece. I wish I could tell you that it was seamless and I'm just as great here as I was working for somebody else. Um, but it's true. You know, you let the little things go sometimes because you're, you're exhausted, you're overwhelmed, um, or you're just tired, you know? <laughs> um, I, I'm still working through that. That is definitely a work in progress. But I think about with the social posts, um, you know, other people are doing it really well and other people are doing it consistently. And you see that return in sales and customer interaction and customer experience. And so I just try to remind myself every time I have to do a social post, like, okay, get up, get up and do it. It takes 30 minutes, just do it. And then your customers are gonna see you and you're gonna be in front of them while they're scrolling on their feed. And that's one more exposure. It was free exposure. You didn't have to pay for it. So just, just get up and do it. You know, I try to talk, talk myself a little bit into <laughs> getting that stuff done. Cause if I don't, uh, I'm up till midnight trying to get this stuff done at home and that's never fun. So no. I try to think of the consequences too. Like if I don't do it now, then I am going to have to do it later. And later is future Holly is going to be mad at past Holly for doing that. So let's just avoid that entire situation. Just do it now. <laughs> that's good. I love that future Holly is going to be mad at past Holly. <laughs> so mad. <laughs> I think it's hilarious in the moment until I get to the future and I'm like so mad at myself. Yeah. Yeah. So what about some top tips, some do's and don'ts, lessons that you've learned that you could share with our audience? Oh, this one was hard. When I got to this list on the, on the reading list, I was like, Oh, how am I going to answer this? Um, because a lot of this is still a work in progress. I'm still learning. Um, what I think is a do now might be a don't later. Uh, but 
The number one thing that I've learned as a don't um, is don't compare yourself to other businesses and don't compare yourself to other people, um, other business owners. It is a trap. And it can get you into a very negative spiral very, very quickly. There are people in Fargo, there are businesses in Fargo that are very successful. Um, And it doesn't have to be clothing. There are breweries that have blown up. There are clothing stores that have blown up. I mean, there's corporate stores that are still alive and still blowing up. can't compare myself to them. I started going down that hole of like, so-and-so has so many followers. How did they do that? And I was like trying to scroll back in their past on their feeds. Like when they were one year old, how many followers did they have? When they were six months old, how many followers did they have? How am I tracking to their progress? And I had, I had to remember to take a step back and go, no, like this is your own experience. You're doing things the way that you need to do them for your business don't try to follow somebody else's path, follow your own. So that's my biggest don't, don't compare yourself to other businesses. It's, it's a, that is a great one. (laughs) It's hard to do. It's impossible, almost impossible to try to practice, but it is the biggest don't. Um, And then a good do is to just take it one day at a time. Um, Try to get your to-do list done for that one day Even if you only get five of them done, just focus on the day that you're in and then tomorrow, focus on tomorrow. Um, Trying to get ahead of yourself and try to figure out, okay, well, I have this due and this due and this due and this due and it's all due in like five days. Okay, well, that's overwhelming, especially when you are a business owner because it's not just working on the sales floor, it's, it's doing invoices and expenses and payroll and receiving new merchandise. And there's a whole bunch of things that go into it. So just focus on today, get today done, do it with a positive attitude. And when you get to tomorrow, get tomorrow's stuff done and do it with a positive attitude. And sometimes you have to remind yourself to do it, but it's worth it. Well, really good tips. Thank you. So this is going to come to the end of our um, episode for our podcast listeners. And I want to encourage them to be sure to go find the video version of this episode because we're going to go on a tour of the store. And so you'll be able to find it on my YouTube channel, our Facebook page, Instagram TV, and on LinkedIn. Just search for Retail Level Up on any one of those platforms.